I'm ready to get it done because there's food. And we've got lots of uh, seasonal workers here today. You're going to help us polish it off, right? Because especially the boys, you like to eat, right? Yeah, no, they're all being shy. They're all being shy now. We, we see the plates. So help us eat it because if it doesn't get eaten, it goes home to someone's fridge and I don't need it. So it's all good. We go through the Gospel of John. We're getting near the pointy end of the Gospel of John. If you've been following our journey, probably for almost a year now we've been going through this. We're nearly there. And uh, I just want to remind you of the parts, because we're up to the last part uh, of the uh, Gospel of John. So we've done chapters 1 to 12, which was Jesus' public ministry, where he's doing signs and wonders and miracles, letting people know uh, who he is. And then he had his private ministry, where he was teaching his disciples through chapters 13 to 18, and praying for them, and, and encouraging them, because he knew what was ahead, and he wanted to prepare them for that season. But now we're hitting part 3. Uh, which is chapter 19 is what we're doing today. And, and this is about Jesus' death and resurrection. And, and really, this is the cornerstone and foundation of our faith, these events that have happened. It's what separates us from other religions. It's what separates our God far above all other gods, because he's alive. Amen? And so I want to go through these chapters. And my prayer, because it can get a little bit, I guess, gruesome talking about how Jesus was dealt with. Um, and I tossed and turned and undenied. I was almost going to show the passion. Who's seen the passion? Um, but it's just, it's so graphic. And I just thought, you know, yes, you've got younger ones here and, and even older ones that are like, I, don't, I just can't stomach that. Because if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. It's really full on. So I heard on the side of, I'm not going to show it. But what I want us to get out of going through these final chapters, uh, particularly today and, and as we go through a revelation of what Christ went through for us. Because we can get that spirit of familiarity. It's a nasty little spirit. It's like, well, I've been a Christian since the days of Noah. And, um, you know, I know Jesus died on the cross. And I know he did it for me. And, I, and we just get this familiarity. But, you know, realizing how he was whipped, how he was scourged, how he was battered and bruised, how he, and every little whip that he took, every beating, every... Part of that process that he went through to the cross was for you, was for me. Having that awareness and revelation of what Christ has done. So that's that's my prayer as, as we go through John um, chapter 19. And so now we're talking about Jesus the sacrifice, because that is literally what he has done. He has sacrificed his life for us. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you for what you went through for us, and we acknowledge that today. Lord, as we, as we look at your pathway to the cross, help our hearts to just be refreshed with a revelation of what you've done for us. You really are so good, and we've been singing that today, but Lord, you are so good to have done what you've done for us. So speak to us through your word today, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's get started. Uh, if you lived in Jesus' day and you were wondering or wanting to decide on the worst possible way that you could die, uh, there's no hesitation. It's crucifixion. It was the worst way for someone to be put to death. You wouldn't even think a second thought about it. It would just roll off the tongue. The cross was the most painful way that you could die and nothing else even came close. Uh, and, and it's just incredible that God chose that way for Jesus to die. Uh, 
Again, spirit of familiarity. Oh yeah, he went on the cross and he died. But, but God could have chose any, like stoning or drowning or whatever, but he chose this way. Jesus came to earth to die to pay the penalty for our sins. And we don't have to spend an eternity separated from the God who loves us. We can choose to believe in what he's done for us. And believe that he was raised from the dead. And we will be saved. Now, since our sins are so, I guess, monstrous in God's eyes, and they are so big, uh, this is why he chose this way for Christ to die. It required uh, Jesus' crucifixion to pay the price for our sin. That just shows you how big the sin of the world is that required that measure for it to be dealt with. Fortunately for us, and we're going through the Gospel of John, but John chose not to describe all the gory details of what Christ went through. Um, if he had done that, most people would probably skip over. Like I said, if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, you probably won't see it. <laughs> I don't know if you want to watch it again. I even watched a few little snippets and it brings tears to my eyes every time I see it because it's like someone went through that for me. It's, it's incredible to watch. Uh, so, so John doesn't go into all the gruesome details, uh, but instead he gives us enough details to understand that the price for our sin was high with his life, Christ's life. So in this chapter we're about to go through, John continues uh, the trial with Pilate. That's where we left off in John chapter 18. Uh, and then describes Jesus' um, death and burial. Uh, so let's start with verses 1 to 3 and read through together. So it says this. So then Pilate uh, took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. So we've got a bit of true grip on display here. <coughs> Pilate's not wanting to pronounce the death sentence on Jesus because he finds no fault in him. So Pilate has him beaten, hoping that that would be enough for the Jewish people. He wants to put on a display, a painful display, so perhaps the Jewish people might relent because he finds no fault in him. So during the flogging, the victim is normally stripped to a uh, stripped of their clothing and tied to a post, and the flogger uses a whip which consisted of several pieces of leather strips uh, fastened to a wooden handle. And each strip had butterfly-shaped metal pieces, so it's pretty horrific. Attack! I got It's kind of like that. Gives you a picture and an idea. So when we say Jesus was whipped, it's not just a whip with the leather and the, that would be bad enough. But with all those bits attached to the leather, and if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, again, you see it, and it's, it's not pretty. So the whip would literally shred someone's back. That's how, that's how hardcore it is. And, and, and it was literally the instrument of death. Not many people survived a, a traditional flogging like this. Uh, the flogging would have turned Jesus back into like one open wound, you know, like a big open wound on his back. And the most amazing fact about this is that Jesus just stood there and took it. He didn't fight. He didn't beg for mercy. He just took it. 
Anyone who could raise a dead man from the dead could zap Pilate and his soldiers and say, back off, I'm the son of God, you will not do that to me. <laughs> I know if it was me in control, I would have done that. But Christ knew it had to be done. Yeah, he could, he could have even escaped, but he chose not to. He could at least have dazzled them with an argument, you know, in his favour, knowing that he'd done no wrong, knowing that he was telling the truth, but he didn't. He just took it. He just took the torch off. So after the flogging, the soldiers start to ridicule Jesus' claim to be king by pressing a crown of thorns. And again, it's 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 we picture these little, you know, little, little thorns. Like they were like one-inch thorns, like this, pressed in after what had happened to his back. And then they dress him up in a purple robe. You see, purple dye was so expensive that only rich people um, owned purple garments. So it was, again, it was a mockery of Jesus. The thorns in his crown were giant, the purple robe, and they were symbols of royalty. And now that he looked like a king, because he's got the robe and the crown on, the soldiers are now mocking him, using sarcasm. They would have said it sarcastically. You know, because they would always say, Hail Caesar. So now they're saying, Hail King of the Jews, look at you. And they're mocking him. Let's keep going. Verse 4 to 5 says this. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And he presents Jesus, beaten, battered, bruised, crown of thorns, purple robe, beaten within an inch of his life. A beaten and battered king. See, for the third time now, Pilate brings Jesus out to the Jewish people. And he's trying to convince them because he doesn't want, he finds no fault in him. So he doesn't want to issue the death sentence. So this time he brings Jesus out, who by now is totally unrecognizable when you go for a beating like that. You don't, you, you look like you're the walking dead. That's probably the best description I can give you. Barely got any life in him. Cuts, bruises, battered. And for the second time, Pilate's now declaring that Jesus is innocent. I find no fault in him. And then when Pilate says, behold the man, he wasn't politely introducing Jesus to the crowd. He was mocking them. Look at this poor man. How can you believe that he is a king? Have mercy and drop the charges on this guy. That's what he's hoping will happen. But we know that it doesn't happen. Verses 6 to 7. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. So then the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. So in other words, Kill the king. Kill the king. So the religious leaders, leaders were not about to back down. They'd come this far. They wanted him gone. They hated Jesus with a vengeance, and they're not going to quit. They did not want to quit until they saw him gone, dead, buried. So the courtyard scene may have been similar to a 
to a football game. And this is where I'm going to bring in an example that is close to my heart. Because many of you know that I'm an AFL supporter. Anyone else support AFL? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Favour on you, blessing. I'm about to play a video, Stephen. I know you've got a baby in your arms, but just in case the volume's a bit loud, I'm wondering if you could help me out and just... You can take the baby, it's all right. Still a baby. Or, or Steve, yeah, sorry. Two Steves. Pick a Steve, any Steve. Just in case it's a bit loud, because if who's been to a live sporting match with maybe, you know, 20,000 or, or more people? So a few of us, you know, maybe it's State of Origin, uh, maybe it's the Broncos, maybe it's Collingwood. Come on. Uh, the crowd is intense at the games, right? At different times. So I just want you to watch this. I'll set up the scene before I play. It was a couple of weeks ago, and Patrick, I apologise. You know what's coming. You know what's coming. So Patrick is an Essendon supporter. And so we'll pray for him later. And uh, you're like, why are we talking about sport in church now? This is not religious. Come on. But anyway, you'll deal with it. You'll see what I'm trying to say. So my team is playing your team, Collingwood versus Essendon, a couple of weeks ago. And there's less than one minute to go in the game. And Patrick's team is ahead by one point. And, no, it was one. And then your play, one of your players, I don't know his name because it's not my team, marked it and was shooting for goal. And it would have won the match. If, if you kick that, they win the match. So instead, you'll see what unfolds. So just watch the volume for me in case it's... But what I want you to listen to is... Watch the goal because it's impressive. But, but listen to the crowd. Okay, listen to the crowd. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Uh, Might need to turn it up. But James! Oh, he's so close! He hits the post and there is yet another element of drama in a match. What do you guys Because that's, that's a childhood's dream on the siren, 
Titus Devangles kicking the goal for the win. So he's just lived the dream, Jamie Elliott, and that was awesome. But what I showed that for was not just to relive an amazing uh, moment of Collingwood sporting history that will be played over for generations to come, but the crowd. Did you hear the crowd? Like, it was intense. Especially when the goal went through, you just hear this It's like non-stop. That would have been exactly the kind of sound at the scene when Christ is being yelled at, crucify him. That level of intensity, if not more, was happening in this scene. By this time, Pilate was fed up with the Jews. He'd had enough of the Jews. And he dared them to crucify Jesus, even though they had no authority to do so. And for the third time, Pilate pronounces him innocent, but he leaves them now, uh, leaves Jesus now at the, at the whim of these people. Because the religious leaders then state they have a reason why they want him dead. He called himself the Son of God. We don't like that. Uh, and they weren't allowed to execute the death penalty. But really, by Pilate saying, you take him and do it, I find no fault in him, it's kind of permission now. So they're able to, to go and do what they want to do. So verses 8 to 10. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying he was the more afraid, uh, when he, Pilate heard that, saying he was, and then he, uh, I'll say it right in a minute. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying he was more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you? and power to release you. So he's playing the power trip card now because he's not getting out of Jesus what he wants. And so he's trying to say, can't you see I'm in control here? But we all know who's in control, don't we? You know, don't you know who I am, says, says Pilate. Uh, this was the worst day of Pilate's life. Uh, I don't know if you know the backstory of Pilate. We're about to go through it a little bit here. But he's heard now that Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God. So that would put fear in him. Even though he doesn't hold gods in reverence or anything like that. He knows, he has head knowledge of what gods can do. And so he's now in a quandary. You know, Pilate's best interests are to kill him, but at the same time, he's thinking about himself and how's this going to impact me and my family? And, you know, this, if this is a son of God, that I'm killing a god, what does that mean for me? So his wife also had a dream. And the dream was a warning to stay away from this situation. So he's got that in the back of his mind. Um, happy wife, happy life. So she's saying stay away. But he's got all this pressure from the mob, that crowd noise going on. Crucify him. So he's unable to make a firm decision because he's at a loss of what to do. So he goes back into the house, talks to Jesus some more, but Jesus isn't telling him where he's from. I mean, let's be honest. He's already told him who he is in the interaction that's happened. What was the point in repeating truths that Pilate didn't want to hear? And so that's the point we find ourselves. And Pilate is frustrated, so he changes tactics and does the power trip. Do you know who I am? I've got the power to, to have you killed. I've got the power to release you. So talk to me. You know, if Jesus wasn't going to talk to him, he's reminding him who's in charge. But we all know who's in charge. God, from start to finish, was in charge of this entire situation. And see, if Pilate had all the power, why didn't he just let Jesus go anyway? So it was a bluff, really. It was a bluff. He doesn't have the power. Who holds the power at the moment? God's in control. 
But the heat of the moment, it's the crowd because it's the noise of the crowd. Crucify him. So if he doesn't go along with that, there's going to be a riot. Can you imagine a riot at the MCG if, if he missed the goal? Anyway. <laughs> okay, verse 11. Let's keep going. Uh, Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. In other words, there's enough guilt to go around this situation. But this is the last thing that Jesus said to Pilate, and it was a reminder that his power came from God, not from himself, not from the Roman government. It was useless, useless to pull a power play on Jesus because he's the Almighty. He holds all the power. Uh, and he always wins because he's God. So Pilate wasn't the only loser, I guess, in this game. Uh, Caiaphas, the high priest who had handed Jesus over to Pilate, well, Jesus has just said he's handed him over, so he has even more sin, more guilt, more things to deal with. So now there's a challenge about choosing sides. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. And whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. So it's about choosing sides. Ever had one of those days where you thought, probably shouldn't have got out of bed today? Just me? No, no, no. A few of you? Okay. Sometimes it just pays to just stay in bed. It's good, it's a bad day, we should have just stayed in bed. Well, this was one of those days for Pilate. Pilate's having one of those days where he probably thinks, you know what, why did I even come to this place? I'll pass over, that's right. But he's having one of those days. And the situation just keeps escalating and getting worse because everything he tries to try and, you know, stop having to give someone who's innocent the death sentence, it twists and turns and comes back at him. So it just keeps getting worse. And the more he's trying to free Jesus, the more the Jewish people argued for action. So he was stuck. And so finally the Jews hurled this threat that you're going to be an enemy to Caesar if you don't do what we say. It was a statement that would terrify any Roman governor because his job's on the line. His life's on the line. If he does something that's against what the government of the day would want, his, he could not just lose his job, but his life. So Pilate was under a lot of pressure. He, he ruled in Israel from AD 26 to AD 30. And as governor, he controlled military and justice systems, supervised collections of taxes, and everyone knew that he was dodgy. Now, once a year, he visited all the provinces to hear legal cases and complaints. He was paid by Rome. They, they had the thumb on him, so he had to do their bidding. And, but if he ever went beyond his stated duties, he, he'd be in trouble. So since Jewish people had um, hated the many gods, you know how in that day there were, there were many religions and many gods, but Jewish people loved the one true God. That made Israel a problem area for Pilate because they would call him out if he was doing the wrong thing. And he actually made, in the lead up to where we're at in this story now, he actually made a number of significant errors uh, before Jesus was brought to, for crucifixion. Um, and those errors also heaped pressure on him in this moment with Christ. 
So these errors that he made uh, was um, he, he brought a bunch of statues uh, of himself that he put around the town, and, and and they referred to people in his position as a god because of the title and the role he had. And, and the Jewish people didn't like the statues, and so they asked him asked him to remove them, and he didn't. And so then he got reported, and, and, and he had to take them down. He, he built a new aqueduct to improve the water system for Jerusalem, but he financed it by taking money from the temple treasury. That's a bit dodgy. And so he could have been reported for that, but he wasn't. But that's sitting there in the knowledge of the Jewish people. You know, another time when Pilate was in Jerusalem, he, he had all these special shields made with the name of the emperor engraved on them. And they were displayed in honour of the emperor because it's all about the emperor. Uh, and, and again, Jewish people enraged because it's idols. And we don't want that. So he's done all these things. And Pilate's in danger of losing his job should these, all of these things get reported. And so the pressure is on him. You've got a mob of these people crying out for crucifixion. And this could be the thing, the last thing, that could be the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Lose his job, lose his life, gets reported and all that. So this is the pressure he's under. He's got to make a choice uh, and, and, and under this significant pressure. So he gives in to the Jewish leader's blackmail and he crucifies Jesus to maintain the peace. Let's keep going. Verse 13 and 14. When Pilate therefore heard that, saying he brought Jesus out and sat down in a judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. And now it was the preparation day of the Passover in about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king, presenting his royal highness for the last time. So he's finally made a decision. He's moved Jesus to the fortress of Antonia, where he sat on the judgment seat in the paved courtyard, and he sentenced Jesus indirectly. Jesus noted that it was about 6 a.m. on the, uh, sorry, John noted it was about 6 a.m. on the day of preparation, the day of Passover, lamb was killed to be eaten that night. And in a mocking voice, Pilate presents Jesus to all the Jewish people as their king. He is your king. And by then, Jesus would have looked terrible. He would have looked shocking. Verse 15 says, they cried out, away with him, away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. <laughs> then he delivered him to them to be crucified, and then they took Jesus and led him away. So they're choosing the wrong king, aren't they? We know it was prophesied and this is the way it's meant to be, but it's all about choices, and on this day they're making a choice to crucify the king. See, so the Jewish people didn't want that king. They didn't want to accept Jesus as their king. They wanted him crucified, and instead, the leaders swore their allegiance to Caesar because it suited them in the moment, rejecting God as their king. According to Matthew, it's not recorded in John, but Pilate then washed his hands, literally, and, and did that as a, a display of, well, my blood's not, his blood's not on my hands. This is your doing. So he's buckled under pressure and he sold Jesus out to these religious leaders in the name of keeping the peace. He was more interested in doing that, more interested in keeping the peace than in doing what was right. 
He knew what he had to do. He really should have released Jesus. But the pressure from the crowd, the voices, the shouting, the intensity of the moment, he did what he did. I'd imagine heaven must have looked down on that moment, on this scene, with just anguish and horror. Jesus has been handed over. Now, it must have hurt the heart of God the Father to see his son suffer this way. We know it had to happen. It doesn't make it any easier. And yet salvation was being wrought out in this plan. God was making a way for us to be saved in all of this. And the Son was carrying out the will of the Father. But not only was the Son of God put to a shameful death, because it was, it was humiliated. Not just physically abused, but mentally abused. So not only was the Son of God put to this shameful death by men not worthy to tie his sandals, but God had allowed this to come to pass because it was the plan of God for mankind. And that's just intense. When you really stop and think about that, that this was God's plan. Wow. Ponder this. Pilate, Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. Jesus was innocent. But he refused to buck the crowd. Standing up for what is right isn't always easy. Who can agree to that? It's hard. Go stand in a parade of LBGTQ madness and yell out, Jesus is Lord, and see what happens. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. I'm not saying deny your faith. I'm saying be smart. Be surrounded by thousands of people. You'll be mobbed. But, but that's hard, isn't it? Jesus was in that midst. All these people wanting him gone. And he took beating after beating, whipping after whipping, scourging after scourging. And he did it for us. But more often than not, when you're in a crowd, it's just plain hard. But God always honours us when we take a stand for him. And he honoured Jesus Christ. He was raised from the dead. He conquered sin and death. So he went through all of that humiliation, beating, and he did it for us. And he came out the other side victorious. When the chips were down, it looked like it was all over. We still win. It's kind of like our footy team, but that's, I digress. <laughs> Let's keep going. Verses 17 to 18. This is where we're landing today. And then we're going to, I've got a song I want us to sing, and Jeremy's going to come soon to do that. And we're going to gather around communion. And we're going to finish early, but that's all right. There's plenty of food to eat. So verses 17 and 18 says this. If you can stomach food after talking about all this, that's hard too, isn't it? Anyway. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. This was most certainly the darkest day in history when all of this unfolded. See, in two sentences, John summarised the worst and best time in history. Until he collapsed under the weight, Jesus was forced to carry his own cross from the judgment hall to the execution hill outside the city of Jerusalem. And in Jesus' day, uh, condemned criminals carried their own crosses to the site of their crucifixion. 
And although Jesus is normally pictured with an entire cross on his back, that's the image that we're given, even in the Passion of the Christ, it's a whole cross. Um, he would have only been carrying the horizontal beam. And that's because several stakes were already in the ground at Golgotha, and they were reused for crucifixion. So he'd have the horizontal one, he'd get there, and they'd hammer that to the pole that's already there. So the victim was nailed to the crossbeam on the ground, often face first on the ground. And then it was lifted up, set in a groove near the top of the stake. And his feet would have been only two to four feet above the ground, so he's not raised up super high. And there the Roman soldiers crucified him, Jesus our Lord, between two other criminals, an act that God had predicted hundreds of years before. You tell me prophecy isn't real. How many things were prophesied in the time that Christ was on the planet that came to pass? So although this was a horrible time, and it would have been, and again, I, I ached over whether I show any of the scene from the Passion, but we're not seeing it today. So although it was a horrible time, it really was the best time. Jesus died on that cross so that we could have eternal life. Aren't you glad that he went through such pain and such torture? Hey, if you want to go and watch it, you just, you just YouTube Passion of the Christ, you'll find it. It's so horrific and graphic and... The man, Jesus, was beaten, battered and bruised in such a fashion that he was unrecognisable by the time he got to the cross. And they've captured it as best they can on film, but I bet you it was even worse. I bet you it was even worse. You can only do so much with uh, Hollywood makeup and, and uh, special effects. And, but it really is humbling to see our Lord and Saviour go through such beating physically mentally all of those things and it's so sobering and, and it makes coming around communion just so much more a time of gratitude and thankfulness because when we gather around communion that's what we're remembering the body broken the blood poured out the the the, 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 the beating that took place on our behalf i'm so blessed that there's a savior that took it all for me because there's no way this body could take what he took. He truly was the Son of God, and he truly takes away the sin of the world. So, Jeremy, I want to invite you to come up. Come on, I'm going to give you this mic back, um, and I want you to lead us in a song that I think many of us will know. We haven't sung it in a while here. In fact, I don't know if we ever have. But it's going to bless you. The words will be on the screen.
Because we're all sinful. All of us have fallen short of God's expectation of our lives. But that's where Jesus comes in. And he makes a way for us to be not only forgiven, but made free. There's no more condemnation for those bad choices, those bad mistakes, the the things that you've done that people don't know about, but you know in your heart you've done something wrong. All of that can be removed and forgiven because there's no condemnation when you have Jesus in your heart and you're a Christian. So if you're in this place today and you need that release in your life, you need that surrender to Christ, I want to encourage you in this moment right now, just lift up your hand. And we're going to pray as a church like we do every week. We do it every week. Why? Because it's important for people to say yes to Jesus. So if we're including you in this prayer today, if you're online at home, you respond in your home. If you're in this place, put up your hand and we're going to pray in just a moment for every person to have Jesus in their lives. Thank you. All right, let's pray together. Say after me, dear Jesus, we thank you that you came and that you died for us. You took my sin. And you dealt with it. You were victorious. You conquered sin and death. You rose from the grave. And I believe that in my heart. And I confess that you are my Lord. And so I'm a Christian. And I want to live my life in a way that pleases you. So help me now to turn away from the old me and embrace a new beginning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give Him praise. Give Him all the glory.